Welcome once again to this videocast on the Creator and the Created. And we will, speaking, will be speaking today of the will of God. Thus, St. Thomas Aquinas will treat especially in question 19 of the first part of the Summa Theologiae. As we have said last time, God is alive in the most excellent way. His contemplative life is his very being. As creatures that are not completely tied to matter, we understand the perfection of God. We understand this perfection of God's life through analogy. That which is best in man must be on a level of perfection in God that we cannot wholly conceptualize. In the same manner, through the excellence of God's creation, we see another operation that is also spiritual, that accompanies man's capacity to be all things, quoda modo omnia, because he becomes all things by being capable of knowing all things through his intellect. The will is a power of man's soul to desire and even to love, not just what the life of the body needs, but what the very nature of man's being desires, the good. Not just any particular good, because man's will will always be unsatisfied, even if he possesses every single particularly good. That's why no money, no pleasure, no honor, no power can ever quench man's will for the good. The supreme and perfect good, which is found only in God, it is God. Human nature's final end is identifiable with what ultimately his human will seeks. The will is that faculty that tends towards the good it lacks. However, we cannot exactly think of God's will like we think of man's will. Man's will is not even a shadow of God's perfect will. In fact, man's will is always tending and moving towards perfection. It is in potency. It lacks that perfection which is only found in God. Yet, when he chooses or when he desires any good, any particular good, he does it always within the horizon of the supreme good to which he is finalized or to which our will is finalized. Even when we choose evil, we choose evil not in itself, for evil is nothing else but a privation of good that should exist. We choose evil under the aspect of good. Even the devil that rejected to serve God did it with full knowledge of the consequences, choosing or absolutizing the good of his freedom given to him from the Creator, which in the end is only relative to the perfect and final good that is God. He is the father of lies, not only for twisting the truth when speaking to Eve, but before that, 
because he contradicted his superior wisdom by lying to himself and choosing a particular good to that of the most perfect good, God. In the same way that God thinks and contemplates itself exclusively, his ultimate perfection, God has no finality outside of himself. He cannot desire anything external to himself because he already is everything that could ever be desired. That is what we mean when we say that he is the supreme good. The good can be defined as that which all desire and ultimately God is that in this most excellent way. This necessity to ultimately desire God, desire God in every particular good, is only for creatures. There is no necessity in God. And this apparent necessity to only will the good that He is does not constrain God, but rather it is God being God. He identifies with himself perfectly. He is goodness itself. As such, he does not desire anything outside himself, including the creatures he has created freely, without constraint. God is God, and perfectly so, even if he never created. We as creatures add nothing to his complete perfection. His goodness does not necessitate creation, but creation rather comes from his superabundance. In God's creation, his intellect or wisdom and goodness are the same. So his wise willing to create is executed in one act, and creatures come to exist with their proper final cause and the means to arrive to it. God's will is perfect in itself and is unfailing in his project of creation. The will of God cannot be thwarted, including by any rational creature. We are well aware that the laws of the physical world are inviolable. Gravity will always have its effect on any object with mass, even if there are other forces at work, as we see in airplanes, that apparently, but not really, defy it. If those other forces, like the first law of motion and Bernoulli's principles, are no longer applied, the airplane will pay the price and will be subject to consequences or to the consequences of the law of gravity. In the moral sphere, something similar happens, violates an important precept of the law, and the sinner pays the penalty of violating justice. The moral order of the universe is preserved in the punishment of the, sin of the sinner. In the end, the blessed in heaven and the damned in hell fulfill the will of God in the order of justice established by him one by beatitude and one by punishment. In the end, even the obstinate angels and the damned give glory to God, for they fulfill His will in being incapable of existing outside His divine justice. 
Because God's will is perfect, it is changeless or immutable. There's certainly not a limitation upon God, but the contrary. The immutability, this immutability at the same time does not impose necessity upon rational creatures nor angels, because God always wills their freedom. As well as God wills that some causes will always be contingent and will create contingent effects. We must note here that a human humans or angelic or angels have a freedom which is limited. A freedom that is always limited by a final cause, by desire of the ultimate good in every act of their will. Otherwise, their will would not move. This is why the philosophy of Jean-Paul Sartre or of the modern philosophical Satanists is untenable. Man's freedom is never absolute or divine, nor divine, but is that of a creature limited by its nature and finalized towards the supreme good. In every act of our will, the will of God is present. He is the primary cause and wills us to be free, secondary causes, in his plan of creation. We can only will and act according to our nature. Even when we do evil masked under the appearance of good, we are responsible and are true causes of this break in justice. Yet, we will always be secondary causes. God never wills evil directly, especially moral evil. He may allow it because he has willed man's freedom, but he will never participate with moral evil. He will never be the cause, even indirectly, of moral evil. For it is a privation, it is lack of goodness, and such it is contradictory to God's essence. God is free, without constraint, but he does not contradict himself. So you could say, in a metaphorical sense, God is not free to do evil or consent to it. Finally, God reveals his will to man through creation, something that man's reason is able to understand and interpret as prohibitions, precepts, counsels, operations, and permissions. Natural law is something which man is capable of, of understanding at least, by looking at the nature of God's creation. But also, God intervenes in history. God intervenes in creation directly, especially through Jesus Christ, and before him in the patriarchs and the prophets. We will see that God's will and thus God's love will have consequences to understanding his mercy and his providence. God is creator, but in the same act of creation of his willing creatures into being, he continues to reign and guide his creation. 
and we will be seeing that this in the upcoming video casts. Thank you for listening.